Well, good afternoon. Thanks once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up with you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. We're also chatting with Christina Garakaitis about that Minute on Innovation. We're looking at uh, some innovative products. So first off today, we're going to have a chat with uh, Emma Wolfenden from Baker Love Lawyers about some of the changes to credit card surcharge laws. Good afternoon, Emma. Hi, Julian. How are you going? I'm, I'm very well. Welcome back to the show again after many, many years or months anyway that you've been on. Yeah, thank you. So I'm sure we've all been slugged with payment char- surcharge from time to time, and we all, of course, hate that, but were legislative changes really necessary? Well, I think so, yeah. For many years now, uh, consumer groups like Choice, for example, have been advocating for government regulation of surcharging so that the charges reflect the actual cost of accepting payment electronically. Uh, Choice actually conducted a recent investigation and it showed that in the case of airfares, for example, tickets that were booked online, some airlines were imposing surcharges that were more than 1,000% of the actual cost to the airline, which that's just crazy, really. (laughs) It is, isn't it? And uh, so the government has decided to do something about it. They have, absolutely. From September 1st of this year, just last week, uh, new laws have come into force that aim to prevent businesses from imposing excessive surcharges for credit and debit card payments. The legislation, which is known as the Competition and Consumer Amendment Payment Surcharges Act, a bit of a mouthful, Mm. states that a corporation must not, in trade or commerce, charge a payment surcharge that is excessive. So uh, I suppose the big word there is excessive. They can't can't, uh, impose an excessive payment surcharge, but of course they can still charge something. Yeah, Julian, that's correct. The surcharging ban does only apply to excessive charges. So under the new rules, banks are required to provide clear information to merchants about the actual cost of processing those credit card transactions, and then businesses will be required to limit their surcharges to that amount. In most cases, uh, banks will be communicating the costs in terms of a percentage, and that will hopefully, in theory, put an end to the sky-high fixed rate surcharges that everybody knows have previously been imposed. Uh, One other thing I might just mention is that the legislation is also aimed at stamping out other other tactics for imposing surcharges. So those are those little fees that are often tacked on at the end called a booking fee or a service fee, and you're you know, wondering what that, what's mm. that for. Um, so under the new rules, if it looks like a surcharge, it's going to be considered a surcharge and the business will face financial penalty. So I suppose the big question then is, is are all businesses affected by this new rule? They are, although the legislation is going to be implemented in stages. So large merchants... Uh, were expected to comply from the 1st of September last week and then all other businesses will need to follow the new rules from the 1st of September next year. So they've got 12 months to get their act together. A large merchant is one that satisfies at least two of three requirements and they are, firstly, does the business have a consolidated gross revenue of $25 or more? Secondly, does the value of its consolidated gross assets equate to twelve and a half million or more or the last option is do they have 50 or more employees so uh, um, you mentioned that the merchants will face financial penalties penalties for illegally imposing excessive credit card surcharges tell us a little bit more about that 
So the legislation empowers the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission to issue notices to businesses which require them to provide evidence to the ACCC about the business's payment surcharges and the actual cost of processing those payments. If the ACCC has reasonable grounds to believe that there has been a contravention of this ban, it uh, may issue an infringement notice and that penalty will be $108,000 for a publicly listed corporation, the big boys, or $10,800 for other businesses. And then if those financial penalties aren't paid, the ACCC will be able to commence court proceedings. Has there any, been any clear guidelines as to what, what means excessive? Basically, um, the banks, uh, the Reserve Bank rather, yeah. has released some standards okay. that can be accessed online and they actually set the figure as to what the charge can be. So um, when it comes to thinking about what's excessive, it's the standards are roughly about 1% of whatever the fee is. So, you know, if you've booked an airline ticket for $85 and then you're charged an $8.50 booking fee, we're looking at 10% and that would be thought to be excessive. Okay. So, obviously, uh, what sort of things should businesses be doing now, I presume, preparing themselves for it? Yeah, that's right. So the obvious first step is to conduct a review of any existing surcharging practices they have to ensure that any charges comply with the laws and reflect the actual cost of taking the payment by credit card. And as I mentioned, the Reserve Bank has got some standards that can be accessed online to help businesses uh, comply with the rules. And businesses should also review any of those booking fees that we spoke about or similar charges that they impose and consider whether they'll be caught. And the key question is to whether or not it will be caught by the new regime is, does the fee only apply to some payment methods and not others? Do we only charge this fee if someone's paying by credit and if they pay by cash, they don't have to pay it? And if we do, is the fee excessive? So I suppose many of our listeners will be thinking now, do you have any advice for consumers who think they might have been ricked off by excessive credit surcharges? Absolutely. Uh, the consumers should be aware that the ban on surcharges applies to FPOS, debit MasterCard, MasterCard Credit, Visa Debit, Visa Credit and American Express cards issued by Australian banks. And if you think that you've been hit with an excessive charge now that the ban is in effect, the ACCC is actually running a campaign which allows people to dob in the surcharger and that can be done online via the ACCC website. And as Australians, we love dobbing people in, don't we? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time, Emma, and uh, we'll chat with you again another time. Look forward to it. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Emma Wolfenden then from Baker Love Lawyers. Yes, it's been a long time since coming those uh, credit card uh, excessive payments, and I'm sure many of us uh, welcome that law. Time to pop over to Christina for our chat on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I can see that here the surf uh, there at Manly. You can. It's very nice. I feel a bit like a bit of a gypsy today because I'm wandering. Okay. All righty. Well, we're going to look at some very innovative uh, product ideas there, uh, a voice-activated motel rooms. Yes. So there's a voice-activated motel room. I won't actually mention which hotel chain is, is doing it at the moment. They're testing it. Um, but you can walk into your room and say, Siri, hey, Siri, could my room please be at 24 degrees? Um, and the room, the air conditioning will go on at 24 degrees. You could say, could you please turn on the light in the kitchen and the light will come on in the kitchen. You can request room service just by voice activation. How's that? Um, the 
they're can, talking about the, the fact that it's always on. Can it turn on the TV? Because I always have problems in motel yeah. rooms with the TV and trying to find my way through all that, all those menus. That's very interesting because I have the same problem. Not that I watch a lot of TV, but sometimes when I'm away, I flick it on. I can't find anything. Um, but yes, it will turn the TV on. I'm not sure if you go, can I watch that station or that program, whether it will find it. Uh, but they're talking about the, the always on factor. Uh, and this is where the AI assistance is going to be. Uh, it will also spill into everything. I mean, already we've got, you know, the computers on the fridges that can tell you what, what's missing, what ingredients are missing in the fridge and things like that. So this voice activation, which we saw in sci-fi movies, you know, quite mm. some years ago, mm. um, is actually becoming a reality. Yeah. The other the other product I was reading about that I, I thought was um, extremely useful was the use of um, virtual reality, which we know it's going to become more popular in a lot of, in a lot of different things, but jurors actually using it to explore crime scenes. Uh, and the oh. benefits of that potentially could be that it will remove biases. So, A, it's not up to the imagination of the juror to, to you know, think about what this place, the crime scene may have looked like. Uh, the propaganda effects of the defence or the prosecutor, you know, whichever way it comes, um, isn't, isn't going to be an influence on the jury because they will actually see... Uh, in real time, what the... Oh, sorry, not in real time, but, you know, in real space, what the crime scene looks like. So the implications for that are, are quite remarkable as well. Mm. Um, closer to home, the MIT lab, uh, they're teaching phones to build themselves. So that's, that's quite a mind-boggling aspect as well. They've got a, a rough prototype, and it has six parts, and they, they get placed in a tumbler, and they self-assemble in under a minute. These six oh. parts can self-assemble in under a minute. And they're doing it by, they, they're using magnets, like back to basics, using magnets of varying polarities to be able to do that. Uh, and the benefits long-term of that, they believe, will be that, you know, there's this fast, scalable alternative to human and robotic assembly lines. So okay. whatever whatever comes of that, I'm, I'm not sure. And um, of course, talk, talking about phones, the uh, iPhone 7 was launched today, and uh, I know. that's got a few uh, innovative things put into it as well. Uh, including the blacker than black, like black, yeah. what do they call it, blacker than black or something, the, the new colour. Yeah, my, and, you know, my son's already going, I want one of those. Oh, so do I, I'm already on one of those as well, <laughs> particularly for the camera, like the, yeah. you know, the improvements in the camera and the, the um, 3D effect, that the camera effect that they're working on will be fantastic. Um, another thing I was reading about this week was that Ford will ship self-driverless cars without steering wheels, brakes and, and gas pedals by 2021. So wow. at one point in time, they weren't going to do that because of the insecurity felt by the drivers. Uh, but Ford have bitten the bullet and they're, they're going to do that. They're um, moving into Palo Alto uh, and they're now calling themselves, which I thought was quite interesting, they're moving from an auto company into being a mobility company. Mm. So I think the use of words there are uh, you know, quite important. Yeah. Wow. Um, and have I got time to tell you about one more? Yeah, one more. Yep. Okay, so self-flying airborne taxis wow. may be on their way. Science fiction promised us this a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but now the Airbus, um, might actually be delivering on it. And, it, it, again, it's going to be this whole shared autonomous vehicle situation, um, but they'll be self-driving and they'll be self... Not only will they be self-driving, they'll be self-flying. How's that? Yeah, fantastic, isn't it? Mm, well, well we, we, we won't be having a chat with you next week, uh, but we'll be chatting you again in a fortnight's time. I'll look forward to it and enjoy next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Christina's... 
there helping us with a look at some of those uh, innovative things. Uh, science fiction movies are becoming reality, aren't they? Time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. The first one here is uh, when delegating, make accountability clear. We often have a lot of trouble with delegating, don't we? Well, the word accountable can mean different things to different people. This is why delegation often backfires. The person taking on the task doesn't know how much authority he or she has. And the next time you delegate something, be explicit about which of these three roles the accountable person should play. First of all, is it the issue owner? In this role, the person has complete control over the decision. A full team may be assigned to help, but the issue owner can make the decision however he or she chooses. The second one is a team coordinator. The person is an equal member of the team with added responsibility of logistics, such as scheduling and defining the agenda. He or she is responsible for ensuring there's a, uh, there is a discussion, but it isn't responsible for the outcomes. If the team can't come to an agreement, he or she may escalate the decision. And then the third role is a tiebreaker. This person doesn't have the absolute authority of an issue owner, but he or she is more just a coordinator, responsible for helping the team reach a decision. In the absence of a consensus, he or she makes the final call. So accountability sometimes is the real issue in delegating when we don't get the results we expect. What about this one? Create an ad hoc leadership circle to generate new ideas. When leaders need uh, innovative ideas to grow their company, they often turn to their direct reports for guidance. But this group, by design, represents the current operating units and functions, which often has a status quo to defend. So when you need creative thinking, try forming a leadership circle, a diverse and ad hoc team of, say, 15 people from throughout the company who can work together for about six months. The circle should focus on the future, not the past, and healthy debates should be encouraged. Within that circle, each member should hold equal status and should not feel that he or she is being asked to represent the point of view of accounting or sales or shipping or whatever their home department is. More important, whatever ideas come out of a leadership circle should be handled in the same way as they were generated. They should be rigorously and systematically discussed, debated and explored. It's obviously what some of the larger... Um, innovative companies are doing. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. In a moment, Greg Richards is going to be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk mental health issues in the workplace with Greg Kerr from Effective Workplace. And of course, we'll have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Albert Einstein once said, sometimes one pays for the things one gets for nothing.